Our title of our message today is called Then God Speaks. Then God Speaks. Uh, this will really set up next week's message where Job will be able to respond for himself in Job 42. Uh, but there's a, a, a speech and then Job's response and then another speech that I'll talk about more next week and then more of Job's response. But God speaks and he speaks with questions, about 70 questions. And some of you are like, ah, you know, if this is the first time in the book, you're like, oh, finally, God's going to answer the questions. He asks more questions. Job himself asks about 10 questions directly to God in the 35 chapters of discourse between Job and his friends and Job with himself and Job with God. And now God comes to speak in questions. You ever wonder why people choose to answer a question with another question? It's called the Socratic method, and it typically seeks to answer a question deliberately with a question and not a statement. Why? Because in the Socratic method, the the thought would be that by answering a question with a question, you're invoking more thought to the one who originally asked the question. You're actually driving engagement uh, in the Socratic method that by answering with a question, you're helping the person, yes, both arrive at an answer, but arrive at how they got the answer. That's the Socratic method. And I certainly don't believe that God is taking a page from Socrates, but I'm just trying to make sense of why God does in the scriptures speak through questions. Potentially, like I'll make a suggestion today, it's to drive us to more faith. Like, remember when God asked Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing out here? Why have you run from the fight? Remember when God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Like God knows the answers to these questions, certainly. But over and over again through the scriptures, God asks in order to engage. He says here in Job 38, who's questioning me? Even as he's present to Job. He asked Ezekiel, can, can dry bones live? He asked Jonah, do you have reason to be angry? He asked Isaiah, whom shall I send? He, he asked Elijah in 1 Kings, what are you doing here? He asked Moses in Exodus, what's in your hand? He asked Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? He asked Jacob, what's your name? You get the point. God does speak through the scriptures, through questions in order for us to grow. And that's the point of the, ser- uh, the series that we've been kind of discussing over and over again that maybe just maybe this book isn't written in order to answer the why of grief, but maybe just maybe it's written and given to us in order that we would find our faith growing. And when we suffer, may we, like Job, have somewhere to go with our questions. So contextually, where we had in the series last week, Lydia talked about wisdom. Uh, The week before that, Heather and I spoke about presence and growing relationships in the midst of suffering. Before that, I talked about friendship and making sense of suffering. And really before that, it's about the nature of grief. And though we long for a why, Job really seems to point to the who. And so today, finally, we arrive at God's speech. Next week, we'll spend a little bit more time unpacking how Job will respond. But today, I want to look at God speaking from the storm. And instead of giving an answer, he asks these 70 questions. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, God wants to hear from us. He wants to engage us. 
And the big idea I have for us as a church is that the point of our faith is ultimately to arrive at a place not of answers, but of trust in God's goodness and presence and intimacy. And for us, reading Job on the far side of the cross, we have the gift of the Spirit of God within us. So let's look really at at a number of different things I want to point out. The first one is this. In in the book of Job, uh, particularly now the place we come to in God's speech, where God's speaking, I want to say this, questions drive intimacy. This is something that will you know, we could point to in marriage relationships and dating relationships and friendship relationships, certainly, you know, parental relationships, even work relationships. Questions drive intimacy because we're seeking to find out more of the person we're asking. So here in Job 38, God says, I will question you, Job, and you'll answer me. And then God enters into this, this question dialogue. Because it's my firm belief that questions grow relationship. And God is modeling here in Job 38 and 39, 40 and 41, that God wants more relationship with Job. God will affirm, Job, you've never departed from my ways in asking me the question. That's really helpful because I get asked all the time as a pastor, is it okay to have doubt? Is it okay to not understand what God's up to? Is it okay to be angry? Like we want God to normalize our questions. And this book does just that. Remember, just at the beginning, we were told that Job must suffer for really no reason. And Satan attacks him to, 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 to ask, will a man under attack hold on to his faith? Satan didn't wonder, hey, can I destroy 10 kids? Hey, can I destroy a field? Satan is roaming the earth, destroying the goodness that is God at work within us for the whole purpose of Will his faith be destroyed when I destroy his stuff? And the devil provoked Job because Job trusted God. I've said it before. I'll say it to you because it's very encouraging to me. The thief does not break into empty houses. What does that mean, Scott? It means this. When you find yourself under enemy attack, it's because God is doing something in you. God is stirring you up to deeper faith and the enemy sees that and the enemy's tactics are to destroy the image of God within us. So when we're under attack, when our relationships feel like they're being compromised, when we have you know anxious moments, when we're fearful, these aren't moments where we're being abandoned by God, not at all. That's what, that's what kind of the point of the book is too, that God is present in the midst of the storm. God speaks from the storm. I'm gonna talk about the storm in a little bit, but... You get the point. For those of us that are in Christ, we're in the spirit. The thief will come to us and try to destroy us. And it's not fair, but this book is not pointing to some fair system where we'll never suffer, not at all. But even when we're, when we're being attacked, we can choose in God to have faith and to believe that God has not abandoned us. And the reality that Job had to suffer through was not fair. And so God comes to speak. Job had said himself in Job 29, how I long for the months to go by, the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone upon my head by his light. I walked through darkness, oh, for the days when I was in my prime, when God's intimate friendship blessed my house. Like, yes and amen. How we long for better days. That's not bad. We, We want comfortable journeys. We want relationships that are flourishing. We want to not go through seasons of anxiety or depression or loneliness. And God wants that for us too. 
But here in the world that we live in, a world darkened by sin's depravity, we will, every one of us, go through hard times. And God speaks to Job today in such a way where he kind of intimates that, hey, I've been listening in. He speaks from the very storm that, that Job has gone through to say, I've not abandoned you. And over and over again, Job has asked God, like, I want you to show up. And God is reminding Job through his questions that he didn't come just to, to answer the rational reason of why pain exists. He comes today to remind us that he is real and he can be trusted and he's present. I, I loved how Heather said a couple weeks ago to our community that Job didn't rush back and replant his fields and make new babies and build new barns. He has the ability to sit with his pain and try to make sense of it and pay attention to it and question God and question God and question God. And God shows up in today's text as the climax. Job was waiting for God. And the scriptures tell us those who wait upon the Lord will experience him. If you're in a season of waiting, I feel like, Maybe you just need to be reminded that God shows up often in different ways than we expect, often asking more questions. Now, that's not an easy promise to kind of sit in, but God shows up. Don't be scared of the questions. The questions you ask God can actually drive you to more intimacy. There's a quote by Rainier Maria Rilke that I love. It says, be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which you cannot be given because you would not be able to live with them. The point is to live everything. So live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the future. So we want to normalize questions. And then this next point that we're going to kind of unpack in the speech of God is the reality that God is often asking different questions than we're asking. Like in that Elijah narrative from 1 Kings, Elijah's on the run. He's just seen God move in incredible ways. Jezebel's trying to kill him. And then God says, what are you doing here? And if, if you're Elijah, it's like, that's the wrong question, God. The question is, why is Jezebel trying to kill me? Why does persecution happen to godly people? Like, those are the better questions. But God asks often different questions because the ways of God are not the ways of of humans. We know this. This speech of God has around 70 questions embedded into it where God is flipping the script and saying, I'll ask the questions now. Job had asked for explanation and God didn't answer any of his specific questions. God doesn't answer a single question that Job asks. And that's tricky but he's asking different questions. Now, remember what we know as readers. What we know as readers is that Satan attacked. We as readers know from Job 1 and 2, Job comes through the earth, he presents to God. Let me attack that one and see if his faith stands. And God says, okay. And that's a hard one for us because this story challenges our our nature of God's sovereignty and God's goodness. And so we don't have an easy answer for that, but it is the setup to the question. Remember, Job didn't have Job 1 and 2. Job just had the reality of his experience. He had 10 kids to mourn. 
He had burnt fields. He had sores. He had just what he could see. He couldn't see as God sees. And this is where I'm now starting to preach to you. You can't see what God is up to. You can't see part one and two of the story you're in right now. The pre-experience of how COVID got, you know, to where it's at now. The pre-experience that's going on now in your workplace or the pre-experience in your relationship, whatever else. We don't know what's going on in your life. We don't know what's going on in my life. I mean, just even this morning, I had to just guard against anxiety because it feels like so much is coming my way. And though we long for God to roll in with an answer to our questions, God often wants to ask different questions because the questions that we're asking are often unanswerable to human knowledge. And so God just starts to ask questions about the universe. Like, were you there, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations, when the morning stars sang? He asks about the atmosphere. Job, have you ever entered the storehouses of snow and hail? Do you send lightning bolts on their way? He asks a lot about the natural world. Do you hunt for prey, Job, for the lioness? Do you know who provides food for the raven or how the stork lays the eggs? He asks mysteries that we don't even know what he's talking about. In 41, can you pull in a leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? As a fisherman, I want to say yes. I don't know what he's talking about here. The ways of God are not the ways of humans. So he'll say in Job 39, does the eagle soar at your command? It's like God is asking Job, Job, do you really know all that you think you know? Do you watch the way I watch? Do you count the way I count? Like who lets things go free? Who ultimately, Job, holds the power to the universe? The natural world is a declaration of God's power. And so God is seemingly asking Job this real question. And here's the real question that God is asking. Job, if you don't know how I created the natural universe and natural order, why do you think you'll understand how I govern the moral universe? We we think we know everything. We know very little. I'm a father to four kids. And the questions that the nine-year-old asks versus the 12-year-old, there's there's an increased knowledge. To the 16-year-old now, to the 17-year-old, you know, but they're all kids compared to my life, you know, because I'm so wise in my 40s, you know. No, right? Like, we don't know so much. Even as we understand the natural universe and split atoms and try to make sense of how the universe is created and hold scientific discovery with the scriptures, there's so much we don't know. Explain to me where the matter for the Big Bang emerged from. Even science has a giant leap of faith. And God is saying, you just don't know all that you think you know. So he'll point over and over again to these different kind of aspects of of the natural world. And what he's really trying to say here is, I'm asking different questions than the questions you ask. And I do, though, want to normalize your questions. And I want to drive relationship. I want to drive relationship. And relationships, it seems to come through the speech, relationship is that commitment, even when we don't have control and certainly don't have certainty, relationship is the commitment to staying engaged even when we don't have control and we don't have certainty. I, I love 
Pete Scazzaro is an author I've been following recently, and he says this, we are victorious in this life, not because of our hold on Jesus, but because of his hold on us. And our confidence is not in our love for him, but in, in his love for us. And so faith in God reframes our focus, not to that which we can control and have certainty over, but to that which we can receive and trust. And that's the third thing I want to say to you this morning, is that God is inviting Job to deeper relationship through this passage. And you already know where I'm going. God is inviting you into deeper relationship right now in what you can't control and in the certainty you don't have. God is saying, even in the midst of your storm, I want to show you my heart. I want us to be in deeper relationship. Because when, when, when God answers here in chapter 38, he does it out of the storm. But I need to unpack some of the Hebrew that this was originally written in so that we can understand just how significant the relationship God is beckoning us to. What it says in the English translation that the Lord spoke to Job, the Lord, the Lord. Now, the Lord in the Hebrew is the word Yahweh. Now, it's like we... I know that word. We sing that. That's in a Hillsong song or two, right? Yahweh, you know, it's even in a U2 song. But in Job, the word Yahweh, which is the most personal and intimate word for Father God, hasn't been used since chapter two. Yahweh, the other words for God have been used between chapter two and chapter 38, like Elohim and Jehovah, but Yahweh has not been used. So when the Lord speaks, the Lord here is this intimate, powerful, where God himself is showing up through the storm. Yahweh, God doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send a prophet. He doesn't send, you know, a donkey. He sends himself. He comes himself to say, Job, I'm here with you. Yahweh, God shows up. And for most of you, like, well, yeah, God's never spoken to me with 70 questions through a storm. But I want to challenge you. I, I, I think he has. I really think God has been speaking to you. And, and I don't know how he has. And that's what I want you to do some reflecting on this week. How has God been speaking to you? Because the scriptures say that God is speaking. He never stops speaking through creation, through the scriptures, through relationships, through prompts of the spirit, through worship. How is God speaking to you? Because God speaks. The Lord speaks to Job from the storm. So the Lord, Hebrew, Yahweh. And then the speaks is even significant. This is where like the Hebrew to English so much is lost. But the Hebrew word here where the Lord said or speaks is actually the word for answer. The Lord answers Job. He answers. But even more than that, in Hebrew, because Hebrew is so complicated, We'll talk about my experience with the Hebrew language course in seminary some other time, but it's complicated. Trust me on this. But the Lord answers, but not like lawyers would answer each other. That's a different type of answer. And actually, the Lord answers Satan in that other form of answer in Hebrew word in chapter two. But how the Lord is speaking to Job is this word to answer or reply between relationship, a dialogue. He's inviting Job into a conversation. He comes to answer, not to shame or to say, you know, you really don't get it, but to say, I'm here to speak with you. And keep in mind, we're going to talk about next week, 
God speaks and Job actually gets the final word in. Because when God speaks, he's always inviting us to speak back. That's the relationship that Yahweh, our our good father, wants to have with us. When God is asking through the scriptures, where are you and where have you gone and what is your name? He's asking for us to respond and to, to to participate. It's the point of our creation is to be full of God himself in order to mirror the relationship that we see in the Trinity. God is begging and hoping and wooing us to deeper intimacy, friends, to deeper relationship. And I know for so many of you, you feel like it's been a long time since you've connected deep with God. And I, I, I hear that. I really do. I want to encourage you in the day ahead, in the week ahead, to seek to answer God yourself, to come to him through prayer or worship or go for a walk and to say, God, how are you speaking? And here's my heart. And to enter into deeper relationship. That's what this book is pointing towards. Not an answering to why suffering exists, but giving us a hope that God will care for us the way he cared for Job. That God did care so much that we read Job on the far side of the cross, that God sent himself as Christ to to suffer and die, to be betrayed, to feel hunger, to to suffer, to go through every emotion, to, to go through loneliness and grief and loss of a friend. Does God know what it's like to be human? Jesus did. He does. And he left the spirit to live within us so that when we feel alone, we have the comforter within us. We have the one who is fully human and yet fully God. And God wants more relationship with him. Not excusing our questions, but entering us into a dialogue. Madame Ingle said it like this. Those who believe they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish in the mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe in the idea of God and not in God himself. So that's where I kind of want us to start to move towards wrapping this up. That God speaks in this beautiful poem back to Job, asking all of these rhetorical questions. But in our day and age today, we must believe that God is still speaking. That God is speaking through creation, through his text, through his spirit. And God so wants to speak to us, to draw us into more and more relationship, not not just answering questions that maybe we're asking him to answer, but to fill us with a presence that will help us endure, endure the present moment and endure any difficulty we go through. Job is affirmed for the questions he asks. He says to his friends, Job has spoken correctly of me. So be encouraged, church, when you have questions, when you have doubts, when you have discouragement. Believe that faith at times will be quite difficult. As D.A. Carson said, when we suffer, there will sometimes be mystery, but will there also be faith? Will there be faith? Will your faith increase in the challenges you face? Will your faith increase even now as Whatever, I don't know your exact story, whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is the people you love are going through. I had someone say that to me in the last week, say, I can do all things in Christ, 
But when the people I love are suffering, then I get angry at God. Will you suffer? You will. But will you have faith? You will. Cling to the belief that God speaks to us as the good father, as Yahweh, in order to engage us in a dialogue that our faith would grow, that our trust would increase, that we would be aware in this specific moment that God is real and God can be trusted. That's what this whole passage is really drawing us to, that God is real and God can be trusted. And I so wish for you, church, that this week that you'll spend some time digging in to who God has made you to be and leaning into any question you have, but going to God yourself to say, Father, would you fill me with more of your presence so I don't feel so alone in this difficulty I'm facing. This is the good news of the gospel, that though the enemy wants to tell us we're alone and forsaken and doing it wrong, that God is within us saying, I loved you to the very end and I love you still. We are not alone. We are not forsaken. God is for us. So God speaks, yes asking questions that at times we wish he would rather just give us the answer, but the answer is present if we're looking for it, that he's still with us and he loves us. So I just want to end you uh, with, a, with a poem that Henry Nouwen wrote. Dear God, I so much want to be in control. I want to be the master of my own destiny, but still I know that you're saying, Let me take you by the hand and lead you. Accept my love and trust that where I will bring you, the deepest desires of your heart will be fulfilled. Would you pray with me now? Lord, thank you for for speaking. Thank you for this difficult but beautiful book that we have called Job. We thank you that even though he suffered so much that God, you never abandoned him. And We thank you that his faith remained as a witness that as difficult as it is when we go through things, we don't have to give up believing in you. God, we're going to talk more next week about what it looks like to continue the fight, but I I just pray your spirit into every home and car and cell phone and iPad and desktop that's watching right now. God, I I pray for fresh faith to fall. I I pray, God, for fresh faith to fill your people. God, we know that this season has been so difficult. Would you allow these Job-like people listening in to pursue more faith? That, God, they would not give up believing in you and that you would sustain them even in this great season of questioning. God, we believe that together we do have a unity by your love and your spirit that in every question, God, you are present. We love you. Thank you for this message. In your name we pray. Amen.